بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعهم بإحسان ودعا بدعوتهم إلى يوم الدين وبعد My dear respected brothers and sisters, respected elders and respected ulama and beloved youngsters, dear friends, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Before we delve into the subject, one question I wanted to answer from the get-go is that after we created this um, flyer and you know, the brief marketing that was done in which the email was sent out, some of the feedback I got from the people, some of the people uh, came to me personally and also questioned that, uh, is this the most important topic in the world? Is this a life and death issue for the Muslim Ummah? And basically the first question I want to answer is the importance of this subject. The fact of the matter is that this is a monthly seminar, we have to remember. So what that means is that in a, uh, a year, a calendar year, we will have 12 monthly seminars. In two years, inshallah, we will have 24, and 36, 48, in five years, 60 seminars, imagine. So can every single seminar be about the most important issue facing the ummah? If it was the one and only event ever, then uh, there are undoubtedly and admittedly some issues which uh, might be considered as the most important issue for the entire ummah. But this is an opportunity where we have to discuss many different topics. And what was the motivation? Why was this subject in the first place taken up? It was because of the feedback and the questions I received from our own students here at the academy. Some of our own students here, they received an email last Ramadan and they talked about it, but the opportunity had passed, Ramadan was over, in which it was very, very clearly in unambiguous terms being propagated that whoever is performing 20 rakahs taraweeh is engaging in a very serious innovation, is incurring a sin. And this is a bid'ah. And the actual sunnah of Rasulullah is to perform eight, and any increase and in beyond performing eight rakah is actually incurring sin. So, this person who asked the question, number one, the objection was Is this the most important subject? So, I said there are many important subjects, many important matters that can be discussed, but this is a monthly program that we have. And having said that, this is the first time it's being done here. Is this something we will be doing every month? No, every six months, no, every year also no. In fact, to, to my limited knowledge, being born here in Chicago, growing up here, I have never ever heard in my knowledge, and I, I cannot claim to have complete knowledge of every single Muslim's activities, 
but alhamdulillah, we do get around and we are up to date what's happening. I've never ever heard of a seminar on the rakat of taraweeh. I have never ever heard any seminar. So this is the basically the first time it's ever been done. So will we do it every year? No, maybe after five years, ten years, Allah Ta'ala knows best how often we'll do it. So this is not something that we are just hammering it and from the pulpit and forcing it down people's throat. No, this is the first time it's being done basically in our history of Chicagoland. And the second objection is that uh, are you here to condemn anyone? So I, I said I'm going to say this in the beginning. Then those who come later, I'll say in the middle. And bear with me, those who are here early, you will hear it again at the last. What is that? The disclaimer that the purpose of this session is not to condemn anyone. And the reason I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm going to have to repeat this three times because of our experience. We give a whole khutbah about one particular subject and uh, people come at the end, they, um, they take the op exact opposite meaning of what was being intended. I remember in St. Louis where I was Imam, this was when uh, the first time Barack Obama was running, election was, you know, people had so many hopes. Barack Hussein Obama, you know, he comes from a family of, you know, he's a murtad, maybe you have more hopes in him. There are those who never accepted Islam, there are those who left the fall of Islam. I don't know what type of logic we had more hopes. But in any case, it was the election time. So I gave a whole khutbah about what, are, what is the correct way of voting in Islam, and if we do vote, how our niyyah should be, what our intention should be, and you know, all of the different questions and answers pertaining to that subject, that if we support the liberals because of their foreign policy, we think, or at least we imagine it's better, but then in social issues, they are also very liberal compared to the conservatives, of course, and all those issues, we discussed it. So I encourage everybody, you should vote with the correct intention, and what's the proper manner. And of course, again, somebody perhaps came at the end. An hour or so after Jummah, I was in the office, I got a call that oh, what kind of, uh, I'm very upset by your khutbah. I heard that you gave a whole khutbah that you discouraged people from voting, say you should not go ahead and exercise this right as a citizen of the United States. I said, Inna lillahi wa inna Thank God it's recorded, it's on the website, go see it. Listen to it yourself. That is absolutely not what my message was. So that is why we have to repeat things over and over again. So the purpose of it, this seminar is not to condemn anyone's amal. And this is a known fact and a reality and we can uh, admit it and stress upon it. The person who performs 20 rakat or 23 rakat with wither or with the rest of the faraiz, all the 100 rakat, but if he performs it to show others, if he does not have sincerity of, in, uh, of his intention, he does not have ikhlas for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then what did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Man salla yura'i faqad ashraka. The one who performs salah to show others has committed shirk. The one who performs salah to show others has committed shirk. وَقَدِمْنَا إِلَى مَا عَمِلُوا مِنْ عَمَلُ فَجَعَلْنَاهُ هَبَاءً مَنْثُورًا They will bring mountains of, of good deeds. Amal, they have done amal. They perform the whole 20 rakat every night. They finish the entire Quran khatam. In fact, may Allah protect us, may Allah protect us. He may not be performing the salah behind, he may be leading the salah. But if he does not have ikhlas and sincerity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, manthura. We will turn it into dust. It will have absolutely no weight. Dust meaning negligible weight as the deeds on the day of Qiyamah will not be counted. They will be weighed on the scale. al-mawazin al-qis al-qiyamah.
So a person, he comes with all sincerity and he tries to perform and he is working hard to bring food on the table and he is exerting himself and all day in Kasbul Halal with the long summer days and um, he performs as many rakats as possible. He performed four rakah, he performed six rakah, he didn't perform eight, he performed two rakah. And he was overcome with exhaustion and he could not continue and he went home and with istighfar and nadama and sadness in his heart. Then no one is here condemning that person. In fact, the one sajda of a person with ikhlas can, can raise that person's ranks in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than the hundred sajdas of the one without sincerity. So what? So then what are we speaking about then? We are speaking about this particular ideology in which it is being promoted in our own community. It's not something all far away in some other lands. But right here in the suburbs, it was, this email was being sent around that the only taraweeh according to the sunnah of Rasulullah is this taraweeh. You must all join us here. And every other taraweeh in the entire suburbs in Chicagoland is uh, actually engaged in bid'ah and innovation. So this mindset, in fact, as we will come to later, this beautiful book, At-Taraweeh, Akthar min alfi aam fi masjid nabi alayhi salatu wassalam. The history of the salatu taraweeh for over 1,000 years in the masjid of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It's written by Fadilat al-Shaykh Atiyah Muhammad Salim, who was a recently passed away, rahimahullah, great scholar, a lecturer in masjid al-Nabawi, a qadi and a judge in the Islamic court in Medina Munawwara. With all due respect and reverence, he was not from Nizamuddin or Iwin, nor was he from Deoband or Saharampur. We're speaking about a scholar from Medina al-Munawwara. And he writes, so this is not an Ajmi Arabi issue. This is another way we simplify things. And when we come to America, those who come from the subcontinent, if they see something different, they will say, oh, this must be the Madhab Imam Shafi'i rahimullah. So this is not a Shafi'i Hanbali issue or a Maliki Hanafi issue. This is, a, as we will see, an issue in which there is consensus of the Ummah, consensus of the scholars, there is Ijma'ah. So in this book, when he writes about the Salat al-Taraweeh, and he gives the detailed historical background of how the Salat al-Taraweeh was performed in the time of Rasulullah It's a book in Arabic, uh, of course, I don't know if it's been translated or not. And then in the time of, of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an, and then in the Khilafah of Umar radiallahu ta'ala an, Ahdu Uthman wa Ali, Ahdu Ali, in the time of the Khulafa Rashidun. Then after that, throughout the different centuries, how the Salat Taraweeh was performed. And when he writes in the, in the introduction, the, what uh, motivated him to write this book, he says something so beautiful, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, جَعَلَ شَهْرَ رَمَضَانِ لِلْأُمَّةِ كُلْهَا عِيدًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the month of Ramadan for this entire Ummah, an Eid, and for the believers it is a spring when just like the flowers bloom and the dead earth comes back to life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every single year is showing us that look at these dead trees, how there was not a single leaf upon them, now they are full and green. And look at these dead gardens, how they have come back to life, yet you are doubting. Who will bring you back to life? Every year you see how I bring the dead vegetation uh, back to life. So this spring for the believers, and in which the hearts 
our the iman and the connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rekindled and strengthened. Specifically in the Haramain, in the blessed lands of Makkah and Medina. Hamahumullah, may Allah protect them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says that oh, one, this is the occasion when people would exclaim and say, out of love for Ramadan and the blessings of Ramadan, Layta la'alam. Kulluhu Ramadan wa Ramadan kulluhu qiyam. He talks about the beautiful qira'ah that is imagined uh, resonating in the sacred lands of Makkah and Medina in the Haram. Spiritually, it is the most blessed land and also physically, it is such a beautiful, mashallah, construction and such a beautiful environment and such a beautiful sound system and beautiful voices of the Qur'an. And Rasulullah has not only permitted but encouraged to recite the Qur'an in a beautiful manner and praise those who recite in a beautiful manner. So it's something which is an objective. Like Abu Musa Ash'ari radiallahu anhu, Rasulullah sallallahu said, you have such a beautiful voice, I love to listen to your recitation. Naqad mizmaram min mazamiri ali Dawood. You recite the Qur'an like, uh, like Dawood alayhi salam recited the Torah, uh, recited the Zabur. So with a beautiful voice, so the hearts are being attached to this Taraweeh and their Iman is increasing. So what do they say? We wish the whole year would have been Ramadan. And we wish the whole Ramadan would have been Qiyam of Tarawih. We wish the whole year would have been Ramadan. Now if this doesn't resonate with us, this type of feeling, then we have to check our own self. May Allah forbid. What is our condition? May Allah forbid, may Allah forbid. Are we dreading? Are we already scared and terrified? Oh my God. Summer, when, you know, looking at the calendar projections, when is it going to come back to winter? Long days. So some are perhaps terrified and some are enjoying. Some are looking forward. Some are looking forward Two months ahead, as Rasulullah's dua, Allahumma barik lana fi Rajab wa Sha'ban wa balighna Ramadan. Oh Allah, give us barakah in Rajab and Sha'ban and allow us to reach the month of Ramadan. So, he says, this is supposed to be the condition and this is the general condition. Still, Alhamdulillah. وَلَكِنْ لَفَّتْ نَظِرِي وَدَفَعَنِي إِلَى هَذَا الْكِتَابِ وَتَقْدِيمِ هَذَا الْبَحَثِ مَا رَأَيْتُهُ مِنْ بَعْضِ الْإِخْوَانِ الَّذِينَ he said, but what motivated me and pushed me to write this research and do this, uh, mashallah, painstaking research and present this book is because I saw in the Masjid al-Nabawi people who are performing, there are different categories he mentioned. Some performing eight raka'ah salah and in leaving in masses. And... Some, even if they're not leaving what they're doing, they're sitting and they're saying they're doing their own tilawah in the masjid. Or they're leaving. But this is, he also clarifies what I already mentioned. This is not because they're lazy or because they're not, cannot fulfill the sunnah or their weakness of iman. No. But rather, because they are feeling that this is the actual sunnah. And everyone else, including the Imam and the Masjid Nabawi, is committing a wrong error. And they are, uh, the Imam is in ignorance. And then he, so this is some people's behavior. And beyond that, which is, are those who leave the majma' and the gathering of Masjid Nabawi and are performing salah in various locations within Medina, eight rakat, and believing that this is the only sunnah. Everyone else in the entire ummah who is performing 20 rakat in Masjid Nabawi or 20 rakat in Masjid al-Haram in front of the Kaaba, uh, that they are all engaged in bid'ah. So this is how far it has gone. This is how extreme it has gone to. So that because of this condition, 
I believe that it became necessary for us to clarify the matter. Alhamdulillah. As I mentioned, St. Louis earlier, being, uh, having the opportunity to serve as an imam and a director of a very diverse community, Islamic Foundation of Greater St. Louis for five years. What happens is that we end up learning that we have so many issues in the ummah. We have to bring the ummah into a consensus. We should talk about those matters where we can unite. We should not talk about matters which will divide the ummah. Let's bring the ummah into Quran and Sunnah and something which they can all hold on firmly to. So this is the type of attitude which is always expressed in the way we speak and the topics we address. And then on top of that, at a personal level, at a human nature of mine, it being very non-aggressive, not necessarily going out there to pick a fight and fight with people, but liking, you know, preferring to maintain the peace and calm, we, I never would touch such subjects which are perhaps deemed controversial now. Never controversially before, but now currently are, have become controversial. But when it was the, the, our students presenting such emails and seeing such behavior, then I said that the time has now come that let us, as the title says, setting the record straight. Taravi Is it really 20 or is it 8? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. First of all, what does a tarawih mean? The word tarawih. This is the plural of the word tarwihatun. Tarwiha, those who are from the Urdu background, you might know and hear, the, uh, you might of course are aware of the word rahat. Raha is comfort. Raha is comfort. So tarwihatun means to take a break and take rest. And when is this break been taken? The tarwiha is that break which is taken after four raka'ah of salah. The rest which was taken after performing four raka'ah salah. This used to be an extended rest. Those who had to use the bathroom would go and use the bathroom, make a stinja, purify themselves, make wudu and come back. You know, make wudu is not just you go to the tap and open the tap in the flowing water, go get the well from the water, take, so it would take time. Just to gauge and understand how much time would be in the break, in Mecca, the people would perform a whole tawaf in the, in the tarwiha. And in Medina, Munawwara, they did not have the Kaaba to make tawaf. But they did not want to be left behind their brothers in Makkah al-Mukarramah. And this is the spirit of the believers. In acquiring the blessing of Jannah, those who have the spirit of competition, why don't you compete here, Allah says. Compete with one another to obtain the forgiveness of your Lord. And that Jannah, the width of which, not the length, but the width, the shorter dimension, is that greater than that between the heavens and the earth. So competition-wise, they would say, okay, the people in Makkah, they are making tawaf in the tarwiha in the break. We cannot make tawaf. So they would perform an additional four rakah. An additional four rakah in every break. So after the first, how many breaks are there? There would be a break after the first four rakah. Then there would be a break. I know it's a long day. It's tired, so I'll go slow. Second, after eight rakah, second break. Then, after 12 rakah, third break. Then after that, after 16 rakah. So there were four breaks. So in these four breaks, they would perform four extra rakah. So four fours are how much? 16. 
So they would be performing the 20 rakat of Salatul Taraweeh. And they would be performing an additional how many? 16 rakat. 20 plus 16 is 36. From the four Imams of Fiqh as we will come to, I'm just jumping in since we mentioned it now, it will help remind us when you see it later, is Imam Malik ibn Anas. Imam Malik ibn Anas. He's known as Imam Dar al-Hijrah. The Imam of the place of Hijrah of Rasulullah. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the compiler of, of Al-Muwatta, the great book of Hadith, way before Sahih Bukhari, Rahimullah. Imam Bukhari compiled his Sahih. And his madhab and his uh, approach in fiqh is based primarily, after Quran and Sunnah, of course, on the Amalu Ahlil Madina, on the practice of the people of Madina. He was a very, uh, he was from Madina, he lived in Madina, and he, he passed away in Madina, he's buried in Jannatul Baqiyah. Next to his teacher Nafi' uh, Rahimahullah Who was the student of Abdullah ibn Umar And this is known as As-Silsalatu Dhahabiyyah The golden chain in Hadith Haddathana Malik Qala Haddathana Nafi' Qala Haddathana Abdullah ibn Umar Radiyallahu anhuma Qala Sami'tu Rasulallah Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Yaqul Imam Malik narrates from his teacher Nafi' Who narrates from his teacher Abdullah ibn Umar who narrates from his teacher Rasulullah So the teacher and student are buried together in Jannatul Baqiyah. So he very closely linked his madhab with Medina in the practice of Medina. So that is why the madhab of Imam Malik Rahimullah is 20 plus the 16, 36 rakat. So, you know, sometimes one very um, uh, um, simplistic or naive or may Allah forgive wrong, totally wrong approach of people is that they think that these scholars they try to find which is the hardest opinion and that is what they are forcing down our throat no, 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 you're mistaken 20 is not, you know as good as it gets or as bad as it gets depending on what perspective you have there is also 36, uh, 36 rakat 20 plus 10 plus 6 16, 36 rakat this is the Imam Imam Malik Rahimullah so this is how, we are talking about tarweeha now. So the break. So this is the break which is given after four rakat. Now one very basic thing about Arabic language is, in every language, that at least that we know, besides Arabic, that uh, there is a singular tense and then there's plural. So we have Muslim, means one Muslim. And we have, you add an S in, in English to make it plural, it becomes Muslims, means many Muslims. So what, what constitutes a plural in the English language? Two or more. So if there's two, Muslim, two Muslims, we will say. One Muslim, two Muslims, three Muslims, and so on uh, and so forth. But in the Arabic language, there's not just single and plural. There's something else. There's a singular tense, there's, then there's a dual tense, then there's a plural tense. Wahid, Tathniya, Jama'ah. So you have one Muslim, Muslimun. Then you have two Muslims, Muslimani. Then you have three or more Muslims in Muslimuna. With every word is the same. With every noun, for that matter, to be precise. Every noun, you'll have a singular, dual, and plural. So if you have a cup, Ka'sun, Ka'san, Kus. One cup, two cups, many cups. So kafirun, kafirani, kafirun. One kafir, two kafirs. Rajulun, one man. Rajulan, two men. Rijal, men. Imra'atun, woman. Imra'atan, two women. And nisa is many women. So 
the break that is taken after four rakah is called tarwiha. This is where this question is. Is it tarwiha or is it tarwihatan? Is, or is, 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 it's not tarwiha, it's not four rakats. Is it tarwihatan, two breaks, eight rakats? No. It's tarawih. So, right from the get-go, if you're going to use the word tarawih, then it cannot linguistically, from the language point of view, if you just analyze it and leave everything else, ijma of sahaba afterwards, consensus of the ummah and all of that, good stuff. Just the word. If it's called tarawih, then it has to be minimum. 12 rakat. Because the break after first four is one tarwiha. Break after the second four, eight is tarwihatat. And break after the third one is actually, that's not a break if you stop at 12. You'll have to continue. Because the break, the tarwiha is a break between four, between prayer, sets of four rakats. When a person ends, that's not a tarwiha. Then he, he's going to rest, he's going to eat dinner or get ready for suhoor, depending on how late the taraweeh lasted. How short the night is. So it has to be 16 at least. There's no narration of 16. It's 20. So this was one, one thing, right, we can uh, keep in mind. Something to think about. That taraweeh means three or more breaks after four rakats. Let's continue, Bismillah. Okay, how does the Salat Taraweeh begin? In the time of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, there are many beautiful ahadith that how Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam began performing the Salah in the Masjid. And this is something agreed upon that Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he started the first day, many people came. They enjoyed the Qiyam of Rasulullah Sallallahu the Tilaw of Rasulullah Sallallahu In fact, it comes in a hadith that even Allah Azza wa He does not listen so attentively and with so much love and enjoyment to any speech or any sound in the entire alam and kawan, in the entire existence, as he listens to his own Nabi reciting his kalam. So how lucky were their souls who were performing the Salah behind Rasulullah Sallallahu so I can read the whole hadith text for you, but or I can just summarize in English for the for purpose of uh, lack of time. Summary is that Rasulullah started performing the salah, and then many people gathered. Then the second night he performed, and more people gathered. Then the third night, it became a huge, huge gathering. So afterwards, Rasulullah wasallam. On the fourth night, the people were gathered in largest numbers now in the Masjid Nabawi. Rasulullah did not come out of his room. He didn't you know, go to sleep the whole night. Rather, he stayed up the entire night in ibadah, in salah. But he didn't go out and perform with the, the Sahaba. And at Fajr time, he came out. And when they said, Ya Rasulullah, we were waiting for you. We were with so much expectation. When are you going to come out and grace us with the honor of performing behind you? He said that, I'm afraid that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to make this a faridah upon you. This will become farad. Whether you are traveling, whether you are sick, whether a person is, you know, it will become just like a farad salah. Now the problem is that doesn't really resonate with us. We don't really appreciate that, the implications. Because how do we treat a farad? 
We are so negligent with the farad. My dear respected brothers and sisters in Islam, farad is so important that you are traveling, you're on the airplane, wherever you may be, no matter how sick you are, you cannot stand, you have to sit down and perform salah. You cannot sit down and perform salah. You can lay down and perform salah with your head, moving your head. You cannot even move your head. Then, of course, that's the final. There's no salah with the eyes. A, person, a woman is in labor, her salah is still farad on her. The delivery has begun, and the, but the bleeding, if the bleeding didn't start, the postnatal bleeding, and she's in, in, in active labor, still the salah is a faridah upon her. Can you imagine? In whatever condition she is, she, if she can't, then she has to make qada. That is the obligation of salah. Rasulullah said, Man fatatu salatun ahluhu wa maluhu. The person who misses one farad salah, his loss is so great, so great, it is as if a person comes back from a journey home and he sees that his entire house is destroyed, vandalized, burned to the ground, raised to the ground. And all of his family members are slaughtered in front of him. He sees their dead bodies. Ahluhu wa maluhu. All his family, all his wealth has been destroyed. He has nothing left in this world to claim as his own. How great and tremendous is that loss, the greater is the loss of missing one salah. So keeping that little background in mind, Rasulullah said, it would become farad on you. Salat al-Tarawih would become farad on the ummah. And this was the time when Rasulullah was present. That is when the sharia was being formulated. Like Rasulullah when he gave the commandment about hajj, uh, one person asked, Afi kulli amin ya Rasulullah? Is it every year? Every year we have to go. Rasulullah uh, ignored him. He kept on asking. Then he said, you know, if, you, if I said yes, then uh, Allah would have made it farad. So don't ask. If he remains silent about something, it is for your rahmah as mercy and shafqa and compassion, out of his compassion for you. So don't continue to become like the Bani Israel, making things more difficult. So this was uh, the practice. And there are more hadith where the taraweeh continued in the time of Rasulullah The salat was being performed by the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'in. Even in Masjid Nabawi, there were certain Sahaba radiallahu anhum who performed the salat after Rasulullah said, no, you continue performing it. If I will perform it with you, it will become an obligation. It will become a faridah. Now how many rakahs did he perform during those days? There are hadith that Rasulullah performed 20 rakat. Even the few nights that he did perform. So that is not something that is very um, difficult to, to discuss. It's something which is well known. But overall, after that, we see that Ibn Habban, he narrates a hadith in which there was eight is mentioned. So this sanad, however, includes, the sanad means the chain of narrators. The chain of narrators for this hadith of eight includes Isa ibn Jariyah, who's an extremely weak narrator. There are those who have said he's a fabricator. There are those who have said that he has lied with respect to the hadith of Rasulullah Imam Nasai, Imam Abu Dawood, they strongly, they question his, uh, uh, how authentic he was. And either way, we know that this is against the ijma' of the Sahaba. What does the word ijma' mean? Ijma' means a consensus. And 
let us take a, take a step back. What are the dalail? What are the proofs that we in our sharia have for any, regarding any issue, any masala? The first thing we look to is number one, the Quran, the Kitabullah, the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we do not find anything in the Book of Allah as a evidence, as a proof, then the second evidence is the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Sunnah of our beloved Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And if we do not find anything in the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then the third is the ijma', the consensus of the Sahaba or of the scholars of any particular era. If all the scholars of the Ummah, if all the Sahaba radiallahu anhu ajma'in, they agree on any particular matter. In fact, if there is an ijma' of the Sahaba, then it is equivalent to the level of an ayah of a Qur'an. Ayah of the Qur'an. The ijma' of the Sahaba. Ijma' of those who come afterwards is not at that level. But the ijma' of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, this is an usul, accepted principle of fiqh, is like an ayah of the Qur'an with regards how strong it is considered as a proof in sharia. And if there is something that there is no ijma' on, it's a brand new issue, then finally we will make ijtihad. Ijtihad is, we will meaning the ummah, the scholars of the ummah, those who qualify to make ijtihad, they will do, uh, they will apply legal analogy and make the proper deduction based on, on the textual evidences. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi he sent Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu to go and teach the people of Yemen as they had accepted Islam a few months before he left this world. And he loved Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu. He's the only Sahabi that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa took an oath and said, Wallahi inni la uhibbuka ya Mu'adh. Oh, well, I swear by Allah that I love you, O Mu'adh. I had the honor to re- read this hadith from on his grave in Jordan. On one side he said, Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Wallahi inni la uhibbuka ya Mu'adh. And on the other side, it was Qalas Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn al-Khattab. I remember reading this on the grave. I memorized it from there. That, Wallahi, lawla mu'adhun lahalaka Umar. Wallahi, if it was not for Mu'adh, then Umar would have been destroyed. As he was a member of the Shura and would advise him in many matters. Undoubtedly, he was befitting that rank to be from the Majlis al-Shura. As Rasulullah sallallahu had given him the title of A'lamuhum. Bil Halali wal Haram ibn Jabal. The one who has the most knowledge amongst my companions pertaining to Halal and Haram is Mu'adh ibn Jabal. Young Ansari Mufti of Medina in the time of Rasulullah sallam granted permission to give fatwa and Imam in one of the masjids during the life of Rasulullah sallam in the outskirts of Medina. In any case, Rasulullah sallam was sending him to Yemen and was advising him and walking with him and he said, Oh Mu'adh, I love you so much. When you come back, you will see my masjid and you will see my home, but you will not see me. You, I will have passed. So he began to cry. Rasulullah began to cry. And he was walking with him and sending him off. And when he was saying farewell amongst the advices, he asked him that, O Mu'adh, when you go to Yemen, people will ask you questions. Uh, you know, How will you decide? How will you judge matters? So he said, Bi kitabillah, I will find the answer in the book of Allah. Rasulullah said, فَإِلَّمْ تَجِدْ If you don't find the answer in the book of Allah, what were you going to do? He said that, وَبِسُنَّةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ Then I will look in the sunnah of Rasulullah so Then Rasulullah said, فَإِلَّمْ تَجِدْ If you don't find the answer in my sunnah, then what are you going to do? So he was a single sahabi going to Yemen. He didn't have, there was no, there was no opportunity for the consensus. So he skipped that one, but it's also proven 
that he's, otherwise there are many evidences for the third proof, which is Ijma consensus. He said, Then I will make ishtihad. And I will apply uh, my mind to find the solution from the Quran and from the Sunnah. Try to find an analogy. Try to find what the ruling should be for this new scenario that is not mentioned explicitly. So then Rasulullah sallallahu approved that. And he said, Alhamdulillahilladhi waffaqa rasoola rasoolillah bima yuhibbu ayyarallah. All praise and thanks to that Allah who has given the tawfiq to the messenger of the messenger of Allah. The Rasul Rasulillah. The messenger who is representing the representative of Allah. With the correct thing which will please him. So that is a singular ishtihad. And if all the ishtihads collect, are collected together, and there's a consensus, that's called ijma. So that will be the third dalil and fourth. What are some evidences of ijma from the Quran? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ This is all coming uh, under this word ijma here. So we are sticking to the PowerPoint. Ijma. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا لِتَكُونُوا شُهَدَاءَ عَلَى النَّاسِ Allah has made you an ummah of moderation. You ummah, the ummah of Rasulullah you will be a witness against the people. What the ummah comes together and decides, that is a witness against the, man, the rest of mankind. Likewise, Allah Ta'ala says, Kuntum khayra ummatin. You are the best of the nations. And, ukhrijat linnas. You have been selected for the benefit of mankind. Something which is more clearly an evidence for ijma' is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is the ayah that Imam Shafi rahmatullahi took out when he was asked, prove, give an ayah from the Quran that ijma' and consensus of the ummah is a shari' evidence. Show us, prove it from the Quran. So Imam Shafi, he brought this ayah forward. And others also, but he was, um, it is recorded that he mentioned this ayah. وَمَن يُشَاقِقِ الرَّسُولَ مِن بَعْدِ مَا تَبَيَّنَ لَهُ الْهُدَى وَيَتَّبِعُ غَيْرَ سَبِيلِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that whoever in the, the, the whole ayah, we cannot go into tafsir of it right now, there's so many evidences to go, but the one key element of this ayah is that those who adopt a path, they adopt a path, separate from the way of the believers. They take a path other than the way of the mu'mineen, of the believers, then we will turn him away and let him go astray the way he has adopted. And that will take him to the fire of Jahannam. Wasat Masira, it is the most evil sanctuary, most evil abode. Likewise, in Tirmidhi ibn Majah Abu Dawood, three books of Sahasita, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, My ummah shall never all agree and unite upon misguidance. My ummah shall not agree and unite upon misguidance. Likewise, Rasulullah said, it is compulsory upon you that you must follow the Sawad al-A'zam, the, the vast majority of the Muslims in Tirmidhi. Likewise, Rasulullah said, whoever breaks away from the jama'ah of the believers, he will die. Mata jahiliyyah. He will die at the death of ignorance of jahiliyyah. This is Bukhari, Muslim, Nasai, and Ahmad. Likewise, Rasulullah said, Man shadda shudda fin nar. Whoever breaks away from the believers, the group of the mu'mineen, he will break away into the fire of Jahannam. And likewise, lastly, Rasulullah said, in Ahmad, uh, mentioned by in Muslim Ahmad, rigorously authenticated narration, Zibrani, Bayhaqi, Bazar, Abu Nujayim, all of these books, Muslim Tayalisi, Rasulullah said, that, Ma ra'ahu al-Muslimoon hasan, fahuwa indallahi hasan. That which the believers agree that this is good, 
then it is good and regarded good in the eyes of Allah. And what the ummah in, uh, regard as evil and bad, then that is bad in the eyes of Allah. So all of these ahadith prove that ijma' and the practice of the ummah together, this is a, a shari'i hujja and a dalil. And in the matter of taraweeh, being performed 20 rak'ah, this, there is ijma'. And who says there is ijma'? There's from the beginning till the end, from all the madhaib and all the scholars and all the different books of fiqh, there are quotes upon quotes upon quotes and pages upon pages where they all mention that there is ijma' on this issue. There is a consensus on this issue. Like quoting Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah. قَدْ ثَبَتَ أَنَّ وَبَيْ بْنَ كَعْبٍ كَانَ يَقُومُ بِالنَّاسِ شِرِينَ رَكَعَةً وَيُوتِرْ بِثَلَاثٍ فَرَآ أَكْثَرُ الْعَلَمَاءَ أَنَّ ذَلِكَ هُوَ السُنَّةً لِأَنَّهُ قَامَ بَيْنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنصَارِ وَلَمْ يُنْكِرُهُ مُنْكِرٌ فَتَاوَى إِبْنُ تَيْمِيَةً In the old version, this is volume 1, 186. In the new version, volume 33, page 112. So this is Fatawa Shaykh al-Islam. There's the older version, new version, both page numbers are mentioned on the record for those who want to go back and check it. That Ibn Taymiyyah rahimullah says that this is a consensus in the fact that Ubay ibn Ka'ab led the Sahaba in the Khilafah of Umar all the Ansar and Muhajirin they agreed those who were present that the Tarabi was performed 20 rakat and no one meaning no one rejected it no one objected against it So this was the rakahs that were performed by Rasulullah sallallahu Then moving on, the rest of the nights, what did he do? Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is a hadith I have here that Rasulullah Abni Abbas narrates: "Can you study for Ramadan 20 rakah al witr This hadith, even if there is there is some kalam in his sanad, but it is proven through talaqi bil qubul, meaning the ummah has practice upon it throughout the generations. Even though not in congregation, he performed 20 rakat. He meaning he continued to perform the tarawih, but he performed it at home. After Rasulullah came the khilafah of Abu Bakr Siddiq. Now, Abu Bakr Siddiq, he did not have much opportunity to uh, establish uh, the practices in Muslim Nabwi and internal affairs because he came at a very difficult time. Just to have a brief background of the, you know, the historical context of his khilafah. He was two and a half years younger than Rasulullah and he passed away two and a half years after Rasulullah. His beloved Habib Sallallahu was 63 years of age. He also was 63 years of age. So he had a lot of external th- threats to deal with because there was a power vacuum when Rasulullah Sallallahu left. So all the outside forces th- thought this is the best time to pounce and destroy these people once and for all. So the Romans, they were ready to send armies. And within the Arabian Peninsula, those who newly accepted Islam, many of them left Islam. They became murtad. And one side, Musayl Abd al-Kadhab declared prophethood in, uh, in the Najd. Then we have Tulayha, even a woman proclaimed to become prophet of Allah. And all these false prophets came about. There were those who said, okay, we remain Muslims, but you're not going to pay zakat anymore. Um, we are, they became munkirin of zakat. So there were all these threats. And Abu Bakr Siddiq had to remain steadfast as a rock, which he proved, and he countered all of these threats one after another. So he, he did not, and before, when everything solidified within the Arabian Peninsula and Islam was firmly established, just like it was in the time of Rasulullah, 
Abu Bakr had made the famous statement, Ayan Din wa Anahay. Can there be any decrease in the deen and I'm alive? People said, okay, those who are not giving zakat, just leave them. We have bigger problems to face. He said, If they bring the camel, but without the rope they used to bring in the time of Rasulullah. Then I will also wage jihad against him. He remains steadfast and firm, and he squashed all those fitnas. So there was not much change during his khilafah. But afterwards, in the time of Umar, uh, what happened is that Umar, he saw that in Maznabui, the practice was continuing. People were, people were performing the salah in jamaat, in various different jamaats, small jamaats. And there were people performing in one, in some, in one corner, people are performing in another corner. They're doing this individual jamaat. Rasulullah performed the salah with jamaat. He did it, he established it. But how many days? Only three nights. Then, when he stopped it, he gave the illa and the reason. That it will become a farad. But after Rasulullah left this world, we know that our sharia is complete. Allah Ta'ala revealed the ayah that your deen is now complete. In the favors of Allah have complete. Nothing can be added to the deen or taken away. So, no one can, nothing can be, uh, be added as, and be made as a farad after Rasulullah That was the only fear which Rasulullah himself expressed. It's not something which was understood by others or inferred. But he personally mentioned, this is the reason why I'm not doing it. So Umar anhu. He said that now that fear is not applicable anymore, so he made mashwara with the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And this is right in the early times, just now in the third year after Rasulullah left this world. So many, many senior Sahaba are still around. Rather, I would say most of the senior Sahaba are still around. The entire Ashara, Mubashara, Bil Jannah, the ten Sahaba guaranteed Jannah are all alive, except for Abu Bakr. Nine of them are alive. All the Sabiqun al Awaluna min al Muhajirina wal Ansar. All the early predecessors from the Muhajirin and Ansar are, are present. And with consultation, with Mashwara, as Allah Ta'ala says, وَأَمْرُهُمْ shura بَيْنَهُمْ The Mu'mineen, they decide their matters through mutual consultation. He appointed Ubay ibn Ka'ab. What a beautiful choice. He is the one that Rasulullah had given him the certification. And he said, The greatest Qari amongst all my companions who has the best recitation is Ubay ibn Ka'ab. So he selected him and he made him the Imam to lead the 20 rak'at. So the Sahaba who were there, they all welcomed that. They all agreed upon it. And how do we know that the rak'at that he performed in 20, this is proven through all the narrations in all of the books of hadith. That this is something which even those who perform eight do not deny. That Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu appointed Ubay ibn Ka'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu to perform 20 rak'at. وعن سائب بن يزيد قال كانوا يقومون على عهد عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه في شهر رمضان بعشرين ركعة. سائب بن يزيد نريس that in the time of عمر بن الخطاب أبي بن كعب يسلط twenty ركعات. نريد إن بيهقي نريد بيما مالك إن إزموتا. and ابن حجر أسقراني he writes in the commentary of Sahih Bukhari that this is the practice. 
In Tirmidhi, Imam Shafi Rahmatullah's statement is mentioned that all the people of Makkah have seen always continue to perform 20 rakat from the time of Umar radiallahu ta'ala And in the book that I mentioned earlier, Shaykh Muhammad Atiyah Salim, he mentions that and he proves era by era by era from the time of Ubayy ibn Ka'b being appointed by Umar until today, never was it less than 20 rakat. And we already covered how the people of Medina would add another 16. So it was more perhaps, but never less than 20. In the time of uh, Uthman, the next Khalifa, who was the Imam? It was Ali. Ali ibn Abi Talib, our very well-known cousin of Rasulullah, son-in-law of Rasulullah, fourth Khalifa. Before he became a Khalifa, he was the Imam of Tarawih. And during the Khilafah of Uthman, for 12 years, Ali, this I read in the book of the research of the Shaykh Muhammad Atiyah Salim, that Ali was leading 20 rakat as well during the Khilafah of Uthman. And I wrote one keyword there, example is compilation of Qur'an. Just like the Salat al-Tarabi was being performed, but in small groups. And what did Umar do? He gathered them together. We see the very similar scenario when it comes to the physical Qur'an as well. That in the time of Rasulullah it was present. Just like the small jamaats are doing their own jamaats divided, the Qur'an was written. The entire Qur'an was written in the presence of Rasulullah by a very sacred and noble group of companions known as the Katibin al-Wahi, those who were entrusted by Rasulullah to be the scribes who wrote down the revelation. On leather, on leaves, on various different parchments of that time. But it was not collected in one place. It was separated. So, during Abu Bakr anhu's time, when he was the Khalifa, Umar anhu, he realized that there were many trials in fitnas, as I mentioned. One of the big trials I talked about just now was what? Musaylam al-Kadhab, the false prophet. And there was a great battle that took place, known as the Battle of Yamama. And in that Battle of Yamama, 700 Hufal became Shaheed. 700 Hufal. Salim Mullah Abi Hadifa radiallahu anhu. Great Qari. One of the four top Qurra. Abu Musa Ash'ari, Ubay ibn Ka'ab, we have already saw him. Abdullah bin Mas'ud and Salim Mullah Abi Hadifa. These are known as the four great Qurra. He passed away. And others, they not only passed away, became Shaheed. He was martyred in the battlefield. So when this tremendous loss occurred, so Umar radiallahu anhu, he became worried about the preservation of the Qur'an. And Umar radiallahu anhu was gifted with amazing, amazing foresight. And we see examples of this throughout his life. Even during the life of Rasulullah This was a special uh, gift of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he had bestowed upon Umar radiallahu anhu. And let us understand, when I'm saying that he had amazing foresight, maybe even in this case, he was able to see what is more beneficial for the ummah that Abu Bakr Siddiq did not even see. doesn't mean he's greater than Abu Bakr Siddiq. There are two types of fadila, two types of virtue. One is called fadila kulliya, and one is fadila juzi. One is a, a, a virtue in a specific area, and one is overall who is most virtuous. You know, we have a lot of youth here, like sports. You know, there is one particular player is overall, he's the MVP, the most valuable player. Now, somebody might, in a particular stats, 
You know, the center who's taller, he's under the rim, he rebounds better. He has more rebounds. So in a particular, just in rebounds, he may be ahead of someone, the other players. Or somebody, you know, maybe, you know, good at long distance shots, three-pointers. He has more three-pointers. So there are specific virtues. So just like we mentioned, Rasulullah said, أَعْلَمٌ بِالْحَلَالِ وَالْحَرَامِ مُعَذِ بْنُ جَبَالِ who has the most knowledge of halal and haram. Or Ubay ibn Ka'b has the great, is the greatest qari. Does that mean he's the best sahabi of overall? أَفْضَلُهُمْ بِالتَّحْقِيقِ أَبُوْ بَكَرَ السِّدِّيقِ The best and the most virtuous sahabi, radiallahu anhu, as we talked about in the Jummah khutbah only today, is Abu Bakr Siddiq, radiallahu anhu. But it doesn't mean that in other sahaba cannot have specific virtues. If somebody says that all the 124,000 sahaba whose name is in the Quran, is Abu Bakr's name in the Quran? No, Zayd radiallahu's name is in the Quran, so he's the best. No, no, that is a specific virtue of Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu anhu, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed his, um, in the Quran his name is mentioned. Doesn't mean he's better than Abu Bakr Siddiq. So when we speak about wisdom, foresight, then amongst all the Sahaba, we see the foresight of Umar radiallahu anhu. In particular, being able to perceive where fitnas might arise from and closing the doors of those fitnas. As Rasulullah himself gave these prophecies about Umar radiallahu anhu, that you are the door holding back the fitan. And Rasulullah said, Inna al-hikmata Umar. The wisdom it springs forth from the tongue of Umar. He is the one man wal-kitab. The one whose opinion was in accordance with the decision of Allah. On 14 occasions, not once or twice, just you know, coincidentally it happened, by luck or chance. 14 occasions, their mashwara is made. Umar said, Ya Rasulullah, this is my humble opinion. Allah reveals the ayah, according to the opinion of Umar Ya Rasulullah, this is my opinion, what you should do with the prisoners of Badr. Allah reveals the ayah. Oh Rasulullah, this is my opinion that there should be hijab for the women because of the condition of the people. Allah reveals ayah. Ya ayyuhan nabiya qul li azwajik wa banatik wa nisai al-mu'mineen yudhneen alihinna min jalabi bihin. We don't understand the wisdom Allah had granted this man, this great sahabi, this illustrious companion. We have to study his life. We should read, I highly recommend Al-Faruq of Shibli Nu'mani, which is translated in English as well, for those who can't read other languages. And see his khilafah. And during his, uh, that glorious era, how able administrator he was, and how he uh, ruled, not only conquered, but ruled all these great lands. He saw the fitna, there was a tree, people, a mistaken tree, wrong tree, people thought it was the tree of Hudaybiyah and, and Bidat were going to start. He did not start Bidat, he was closing the doors of Bidat. Allah Ta'ala mentions a tree in the Quran. Which tree? In Surah Al-Fatih. إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah is pleased with the believers. إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ When they took the bay'ah on your hand under the tree. So there was the wrong tree. People thought this is the same tree and they started taking tabaruk from that, trying to get barakah from it. He cut that tree. Because he, he, he wants to close the door for shirk or bid'ah. He wasn't there to start bid'ah, he was there to close bid'ah. And then he saw when he's making tawaf, people are pushing each other towards the Hadr al-Aswad. He knows that people just came from shirk. So he loudly he proclaimed that, O oh, Hajar, O oh, Stone, la la you cannot benefit, you cannot harm. We are kissing you because Rasulullah kissed you following the Sunnah of Rasul. So he saw the people in the Persians were very proud of their culture and civilization. They were not entering Islam right away. It took them a long time. So the Muslim children are mingling with the non-Muslim children and they are gaining their culture with the Majusis, the fire worshippers of Iran. So he is the one who founded the cities of Kufa and Basra. He is the one who selected the places where the cities should be developed. He is the one who wrote, drew the architectural plans 
and designed the basic skeleton of, of how the city should be founded. He's the founder of the cities, Umar radiallahu So, Umar radiallahu here, he comes to Rasulullah sallallahu We are here under the word compilation of Quran. He comes to Rasulullah uh, Abu Bakr Siddiq, and he says, Oh, Amir, oh, oh Khalifa to Rasulullah, oh successor of the Prophet, I'm afraid that we have to preserve the Quran. We should all compile it together and have one physical copy where the Quran is together under within two covers. So Abu Bakr Siddiq he said, you're asking me to do something which Rasulullah did not do? How can I do that? Umar kept on insisting and pressing upon him the need of the time. So Abu Bakr Siddiq finally, he said, Hatta sharahullah sadr Abu Bakr, until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened his heart and he began to understand this is something that needs to be done. Now who should do this? So they looked upon all the Sahaba and they found this requires a lot of effort and the person has to be qualified. So they found Zayd ibn Thabit, the young genius Ansari Sahabi. Rasulullah had made him a scribe of the Quran who is to write down the revelation. And he was the helper of Rasulullah. In the beginning, Nabi when he would communicate with the Jews, he would have Jewish translators for the treaties and for the communication. But he was not sure that they might be changing. You know, when they change the book of Allah, why would they not change the letter of Rasulullah? So he asked this young prodigy that you learn, can you learn the Hebrew language? So he mastered it in 15 days. And so he was a young Sahabi, but Rasulullah had trusted him. And the final year when Rasulullah left this world, he recited the entire Quran to Jibreel, listened to the entire Quran from Jibreel. Then recited the entire Quran to uh, Zayd radiallahu anhu. Then listened to the entire Quran from Zayd radiallahu anhu. Al-Arda the final recitation. So he had the, the most knowledge so he, about the Quran. He was made as the chairman of the committee. Other Sahaba were joining the committee. Umar radiallahu was a part of the committee. But Zayd radiallahu anhu was the chairman of the compilation of the Quran. When he was presented to him, he said, you, if you would ask me to pick up a mountain and move it, it would have been easier than this task you're giving me. How can I do something which Rasulullah did not do? They said that no... The Qur'an was still being revealed. Now its revelation has finished. The Qur'an is not going to be revealed anymore. Jibreel has stopped coming with fresh revelation. So now why don't you, if this needs to be done. This is the need of the time. So the Qur'an was, was compiled. Now this is a, something which is agreed upon. No one is going to say and at, attack the Qur'an and say that this is the bid'ah of Umar. Rather we'll be grateful. And we must be uh, full of gratitude for the great service he did. So just like the compilation of the Qur'an occurred with the advice of Umar likewise the combination of the small jamaats into one jama'ah occurred with the, opinion, uh, with the instruction of Umar Why is it important for us to follow uh, the Khulafa or Rashidun? Actually there's multiple levels. One is Ijma' We had a whole discussion about Ijma' in the ayats proving consensus. Then not only Ijma' of the Ummah, then we have the Sahaba. The Sahaba they are those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala selected to be the initial recipients of divine revelation. Rasulullah was a recipient but they are the ones who received it directly from Rasulullah and they are the ones who are the transmitter of the knowledge from Rasulullah Rasulullah said Allah has chosen me and he has chosen my companions for me. So the Sahaba Allah Ta'ala says about them in the Quran, Allah has promised Jannah for all of them. 
Radiallahu anhum wa Allah is pleased with them, they are pleased with Allah. Many, many ayats about the virtues of Sahaba. Then within the Sahaba, we have the top caliber are the Khulafa'ur Rashidun. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa what did he say about the Khulafa'ur Rashidun? He said that the Bani Israel were divided into 72 sects and my ummah will be divided into 73. So ummati. My ummah will also be divided into all of these sects and groups. Uh, all of them, they will all be in the hellfire except for one, the Sahaba asked, Ya Rasulullah, which one? He responded, Those who follow my way in the way of my Sahaba. Umar radiallahu this is established beyond any doubt. They performed 20 rakat in with Jama'ah in the Masjid Nabawi. Imam Malik radiallahu anhu, he mentions, إِذَا جَاءَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ حَدِيثَانِ مُخْتَلِفَانِ وَبَلَغَنَا أَنَّ أَبَا بَكَرُ وَعَمَرَ عَمِلَا بِأَحَدِ الْحَدِيثِينَ وَتَرَكَ الْآخَرَ كَانَ ذَلِكَ دَلِيلًا أَنَّ الْحَقِّ فِيمَا عَمِلَا بِهِ When we know about various narrations come to us, and we know that this is the one hadith that apparently contradicts another, we look which one did Abu Bakr and Umar follow. If we know that Abu Bakr and Umar followed a particular hadith, that is the one we hold on firmly to, and we will leave the other ones. When there are various narrations, we will see Abu Dawood says, which one did the Sahaba practice? That is the one we will hold on firmly to. So this is something we have to understand, actually, a broader subject, is that uh, what is Sunnah? Sunnah, 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 Sunnah is tariqa al-masluka fi deen the way that is adopted to practice the deen. The actual way of practicing the deen is a sunnah. And what comes in the hadith, is many things come in the hadith. There are certain things in the hadith, there are that hadith which we practice upon, and there are hadith, rigorously authenticated hadith, which you do not practice upon. It's a hadith, we do not make amal on it. In fact, it would be sinful if you do. Why? Because of, it could be mansukh, abrogated. It could be a khususi of Rasulullah, specific uh, khususi, a specific characteristic of Rasulullah If Rasulullah had nine wives, does that mean that it is permissible for us? Khalisatan laka min dunya mu'mineen. If Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he did his tawaf on his camel, up high, raised, and he told the companions, this is my first hajj and my last hajj, you know, we know now, in hindsight, it was his last hajj, favorable hajj. What did he say? Khudu anni manasikakum. Look, if, see how I'm doing my hajj and learn from me. And he made tawaf on his camel. Now if somebody goes into haram today and says, this is a hadith, sahih, and he takes his camel and he does Tawaf. Uh, and the camel is urinating and defecating. Then could there be any greater crime? That was a specific condition. So we have so if there is ta'amul on that hadith, if there is amal, if there is muadaba of the amal, there is a continual practice. Rasulullah he urinated standing. Mughira bin Shu'ba narrates. He came to a place where the people were throwing their dirt. It was a hidden place and he stood and urinated. Is that the habitual practice of Rasulullah Absolutely not. The habitual practice of Rasulullah was to sit and urinate. Now why did he stand? There's like 21 answers. Bayanan al-jawaz or He was sick. He had a sickness that, or his, his knees or it was, it was dirty there that it would come back and dirty him. Or to explain that it is, it is permissible. In circumstances where there is no other option, it is permissible. If he never did it standing, it would have been impermissible. So, like wudu, what is the sunnah of Rasulullah He would wash every limb 
three times. But there are hadith Rasulullah washed every limb two times. There are hadith Rasulullah washed every limb one time. Why did he do that? Bayanan lil jawaz. To show us that this is permissible. That the farad is to wash every limb once. If a person, if the salah is about to expire, the time. If he's going to make a whole sunnah wudu, he will miss the salah. Let him wash his limb once. A person is so sick, he has severe arthritis, he can't move his limbs. Or a person is so sick that the cold of water is, is so painful, he can wash a limb once. We learn that from the practice of Rasulullah So anything that is proven in a hadith doesn't necessarily mean automatically it is sunnah. The sunnah is the habitual practice of Rasulullah in the habitual practice that has been transmitted through generations from the Sahaba to the Tabi'un to the Tabi'een and through the Fuqaha of the Ummah to us. And the habitual practice is none other than 20 rak'at. So we said there is the ijma of the Ummah, then there is the level of Sahaba, then there is the level of Khulafa or Rashidun. Rasulullah said, Ittaba'u sunnati, follow my sunnah. What? Sunnat al-Khulafai al-Rashidin. Follow my sunnah and follow the sunnah of Khulafai al-Rashidin. Al-Mahdiyin. Addu alayha bin nawajiz. Hold on to it firmly. This is the Sahih Hadith. What's noteworthy here is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he bracketed both under the same verb. Ittaba'u, follow. Sunnati, my sunnah. And then he didn't put another verb to indicate its lesser degree of importance. Or wamtathilu, or... You know, there are many verbs in the Arabic language for following. But rather, Rasulullah bracketed with the wow, harfa'at, conjunction, and follow my sunnah. And he didn't say, and also follow. He said, follow my sunnah and the sunnah of the Khulafa'u Rashidin. What does the sunnah of Khulafa'u Rashidin mean? The sunnah of the Khulafa'u Rashidin doesn't necessarily mean any individual opinion Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, or Ali, radiallahu anhu, might have had in a minor juristic issue. If there's a tafsir of an ayah, this is the opinion of Uthman radiallahu Or more likely we would say Umar or Ali radiallahu anhum ajma'in. As their opinions are more well known in fiqh from amongst the four. <clears throat> so is that Sunnatul Khulafah Rashidin? No. Sunnatul Khulafah Rashidin means that as the standing Khalifa in the time, of the time, with the consensus and mashwara of Muhajirun and Ansar, if there is a, a, a consensus reached and a decision made as a standing Khalifa, that is a Sunnatul Khulafai Rashidun. Sunnatul Khulafai Rashidin. The one that Rasulullah is saying, you must follow it just like you follow my Sunnah. And the Tarawi together 20 rakat is a Sunnah of Khulafai Rashidun. Sunnah of Umar radiallahu anhu. These are some practice, significance and practice of Umar radiallahu anhu in particular. From the four now coming down onto him. Number two, Umar radiallahu anhu. Allah has placed the truth upon Umar's tongue and heart. Nabu Dawood. Ali radiallahu anhu praised him. Indeed, he was always correct in his affairs. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. Great faqih sahabi. He's while under oath taking qasam. He says, the straight path is the one that he chooses. Umar bin Abdul Aziz rahimahullah. The, known as the fifth Khalifa Rashid, he also said in one of his addresses, Behold, whatever Rasulullah and his two companions, Abu Bakr and Umar, have implemented, it is a duty, we must follow them and adhere to it in our religion. In fact, Rasulullah himself said, Follow the two companions after me, my two wazirs in my hayat, and, and to became his rafiq after he left this world. His two companions in his grave, Abu Bakr and Umar, follow them after me. Uh, Imam Wanifa was asked that 
Is this something that Umar Dhan introduced? From, he said, how could he introduce it from his own intellect? It cannot be, ever be considered as innovation from his side. He had knowledge from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Another example of this is when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, after the Fath Makkah, conquest of Makkah, he told Aisha Sadiqah, his wife, that uh, my heart's desire is, my heart's desire is. This is another example in which aspect? That Rasulullah's desire is something, but he didn't do it because of circumstances. He said, the desire of my heart is to rebuild the Kaaba on the foundation of Ibrahim a.s. Because when he was 30 years of age, meaning 10 years prior to his prophethood, the Quraysh rebuilt the Kaaba, but they did not have enough quote-unquote halal funds. So they were so respectful in Jahili era that they did not complete the construction of the Kaaba. They demarcated a particular area which is now known as the Hatim, the semicircle on the side. We might have seen in the pictures of those who have visited have seen. They just made that sign, construction sign zone. This is supposed to be part of the Kaaba, but we can't construct it now. We'll do it later. There was a shipwreck in Jeddah. They got the wood from there. They had limited materials and they used that. They had the stones, the roof from the shipwreck of, uh, and the stones from the mountains. Of course, there are enough stones there, no problem stones. They got that and they said, we don't have, we'll stop it here, we'll continue later. There were two doors, one to enter, one to exit, they closed one door. The door was on the ground level, they elevated it. These are the three major changes. They put a stair so not everyone can go. Only uh, through access of the Quraysh who were holding the key. They limited the entrance to the Kaaba. So these three changes. One side, the Hatim, closed the second door and elevated the one existing door. So Rasulullah said, I wish I could change the Kaaba. Now he's the ruler of Makkah, de facto ruler of Arabian Peninsula. But he said, it's just the, the people are just come from Jahiliyyah into Islam. And they're going to say, I'm making all these drastic changes. I'm changing the face of the Kaaba too. So I'll take it easy and I'll wait. But he passed away. So Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu anha was the khala of maternal aunt of Abdullah bin Zubair. Abdullah bin Zubair's mother is Asma bin Abi Bakr, the sister of Aisha bin Abi Bakr. So the, the nephew he knew, he heard from his khala, the desire of Rasulullah When he was the Khalifa, he was the Khalifa for six months. Uh, between the Banu Umayyah. Abdullah bin Zubair was also the Khalifa. For six months he had Khilafah, then he was killed by Hajar bin Yusuf. So he rebuilt the Kaaba. Based on the foundation of Ibrahim Islam. Fulfilling the wish of Rasulullah Then later they, did, they said, oh Abdullah bin Zubair did this. Just like people are saying this is an innovation of Umar. Who fulfilled the desire of Rasulullah Hajjaj bin Yusuf, the tyrant king, he, uh, or general, he said, oh, this is a bid'ah, Abdullah bin Zubair. What happens, and even till today, when the governments are taken, overtaken, the toppling of the statues, changing the names of the airports in the city, changing all the names, right? No one wants any sign, defacing all the pictures of the previous prime minister, putting the new one's picture up. So he said, Abdullah bin Zubair is gone, now the Banu Umayya are in charge. How are we going to have the Kaaba, which is a reminder of the people of the deposed Khalifa, our enemy. So he didn't want that. So what is, he, he uh, took, he can't say that I'm trying to change the Kaaba because I don't like the previous Khalifa. That wouldn't work. So under the garb of religion, he said, no, 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 I want to keep the Kaaba back like it was in the time of Rasulullah See, I'm going back to the actual Sunnah. This is a bid'ah of Abdullah bin Zubair. So he did it. Now when the Banu Umayyah finished, they were in and Banu Abbasiyah came. So they said, that, let us rebuild it according to the will of Rasulullah. The wish of Rasulullah But thank God the Khalifa Abbasi He took the mashwara of Imam Malik Imam Malik the Imam of Medina The one we have been talking about Several times already And he said I beg you, I beg you 
please don't make the house of Allah a plaything of kings. Today you are there, Abban Abbasiya, then Uthmani Khalafa came, and now the Saudis are ruling. Every time a king will come, a new dynasty, a new, new kings, a new family of kings, they're going to be destroying the Kaaba, rebuilding it. Please don't make it. Yes, it's true. It was the wish of Rasulullah, but leave it as it is. That's the reason it is left the way it is. So here we see that uh, Umar did this in the presence of a large group of companions Uthman, Ali, Ibn Masood, Abbas. Abbas, Ibn Abbas, all of these Sahaba were there. All the Ashar Mubashara were there. Um, no one objected. And if somebody will say, maybe they were afraid of him. No, no, no. He was so frank. There are so many examples when on minor, minor issues, people objected. Some clothes came and they were distributed. One person gets up and says, oh, Amir al-Mu'minin, everyone got one pair. Why are you wearing two? He had the right to object. Just giving you an example that people were objecting. So Umar said, beautiful question. Alhamdulillah, Allah placed in my ummah such people who are there to correct me if I make a mistake. However, at this juncture, I asked my son, Abdullah, please stand up and respond. Abdullah bin Umar stands up and says, everyone got one piece. My father got one piece too. I got one piece too. I said, oh dear father, you are so big stature. It is not going to fit you. What are you going to do with this half piece for you? For it's not enough for your body, your frame. So I gave, I gave him my piece and we stitched both pieces together and that's how he got his suit. He said, are you satisfied? He said, I'm satisfied. Then Umar said, Alhamdulillah, I love such people who are there to always correct me if I make a mistake. And there's so many examples of that. So if they can object publicly about two pairs of clothes versus one pair, if he's going to start innovation, are they going to remain silent? Absolutely impossible to imagine that. Another whole angle on this is the resemblance of the Shia. I will come maybe to this afterwards. After, after the Khulafa al-Rashidun, the time is going, I want to uh, wrap it up, is that we have the four Imams of Fiqh. All of the four Imams, if you look in their opinions, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, Imam Ahmad, they all agree on 20 rakat or more with respect to Imam Malik. Shaykh Atiyah Salim, I present his book in Medina, he shows for over a thousand years, 1400 years, it was never less than, it was never less than, uh, 20 rakat. In Makkah al-Mukarramah, Umm al-Qura University, they have also come out with a research that how was the Salat al-Tarawih performed in Makkah al-Mukarramah. And their conclusion as well is that it was never al-Hadhi al-Nabawi sahih fi Salat al-Tarawih. This is a research paper that came out from Umm al-Qura University of Makkah al-Mukarramah. The correct guidance of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi with respect to how to perform the Salat al-Tarawih. It was never performed less than 20 in Makkah al-Mukarramah. So the question says, okay, where did this whole idea, this is where it becomes interesting, more interesting, is that where did this whole idea of eight come from then? They don't have to have some backing. You're not telling us the whole story. You're just telling us ijma, ijma, ijma. Yeah, but did they just uh, imagine it all up from their own side? No, no, no. There was some, t there is a text, and that text was misunderstood and misapplied. Where is that text? This is the hadith. Abu Salama bin Abdurrahman says that he asked Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu anha, how was the prayer of Rasulullah during the Ramadan? So she replied, Rasulullah never performed more in Ramadan or outside Ramadan than 11 rakat. Hold on. First, he used to perform four rakat. Don't ask me how long they were, how beautiful they were. Then he performed four rakat. 
Do not ask me how long and beautiful they were. Then you will perform the three rakah of witr. So Abu Salma is asking Aisha Siddiqa about the salah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And this is what she replied. She replied that he would perform eight rakat and three rakat with her. Is this a hadith sahih? Yes, it is very sahih hadith. It's also mentioned in, in, in Sahih Bukhari. But the problem is that what, is this, what type of salah is this hadith referring to? If you look in the hadith, Aisha Siddiqa radiallahu ta'ala anha is being asked. First thing is the was performed in the masjid. In the masjid, Rasulullah said, Khayru sufu fi rijal awaluha. The best of are the men in the front. Uh, and the worst is of, of suffer of for the men is the last one. The best of of the woman is the last one. Khayru sufu fi nisa akhirah. The best of the, of the woman is the last one, farthest away. And the worst of for the woman is the first one nearest the men. So Aisha Siddiqa was in the back of the back when it comes to salat in the masjid. But this Sahabi as a man is going to ask a woman, Aisha Siddiqa, why is he asking her? He's asking her about the salah that Rasulullah was performing at home. Rasulullah married Aisha Siddiqa for this very express purpose. Every single wife of Rasulullah was either a widow or divorced. The only one virgin that he married was Aisha Siddiqa because she was bright, intelligent, one third of knowledge is narrated from her. She became the greatest alima and scholar from amongst the wives of Rasulullah and all those matters that pertain to the family of Rasul, uh, family life and private life of Rasulullah between husband and wife, we gained the knowledge through Aisha Siddiqa. Those are outside, they don't know, they can tell us. So she was the marja and she was this resource for that. So he comes to ask her about the salah that Rasulullah is performing at home. The and in this hadith, she herself says, The salah in Ramadan or outside Ramadan, even outside of Ramadan, he would always perform eight rakah. Which is the salah which is performed in Ramadan and is also performed out of Ramadan? It's not tarawih, that's for sure. Tarawih is not performed throughout the year. It is tahajjud. It is the salat of tahajjud which is performed throughout the year. And there are many hadith about that, wherein many ayats, in fact Allah Ta'ala is ordering Rasulullah to perform Stand for half the night, two-thirds of the night, or maximum relaxation, one-third of the night. And likewise, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, أَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِدُلُوكِ الشَّمْسِ إِلَىٰ غِسْخِ اللَّيْلِ وَقُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ إِنَّ قُرْآنَ الْفَجْرِ كَانَ مَشْهُودًا وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ فَتَهَجَّدْ بِهِ In the night, perform the tahajjud prayer. It's the order of Allah in Surah Bani Israel. So Rasulullah was performing the tahajjud prayer. So this is the prayer that she is saying, she is giving the hadith about the tahajjud prayer. She is narrating, and you will say that, how do you know? The classification of the hadith is important. The scholars of hadith, where they place the hadith. It is highly important in understanding any hadith. Which chapter does it fall under? That's why they say, Fiqh al-Bukhari fi tarajimihi. If you want to understand the fiqh and the understanding of the hadith of Bukhari, look at the chapter headings. How he classified the hadith. So this hadith, all the scholars who narrated, they narrated in the chapter of tahajjud. This hadith, they narrated in which chapter? Chapter of tahajjud. Not the chapter of tarawih. And when Umar is performing 
with no one denies it. Those who perform eight also, they don't deny the fact Umar gone. They say it was the wrong innovation of Umar. No one denies there was 20 at the time of Umar with Ubay ibn Ka'b as being the Imam. Where was Aisha Siddiqa, the narrator of this hadith? She was next door. Where is the grave of Rasulullah, the roda of Rasulullah? How far is it? It's, it's attached. It's attached to Masjid Nabu. She was there. Rasulullah passed away in her home. She says, Among the favors of Allah upon me, and the Nabi passed away in my home. It was my day, it was my turn. And his head was on my lap, on my chest when he passed away. Etc. etc. It's a long hadith. So she, he passed away in her home. He was buried, Abu Bakr Siddiq, there was a question, should we bury him by the Kaaba? Should we bury him? Where should we bury him? In Baqir. Different opinions. Abu Bakr Siddiq said, no, I heard Rasulullah said, Allah takes the soul of the Nabi where he should be buried. So he should be buried right in the same home. So he was buried in the, his daughter's home, Aisha Siddiq. When her father, the first Khalifa passed away, she gave the grave space for her father. When Umar was, uh, was murdered, attacked brutally with a poison dagger by Firoz Abu Lulu while leading the Fajr Salah, he sent a request to Aisha Siddiqa Radulana, can I be buried? So what did she say? She said that my father, my husband was buried here, my father was buried here, and I was preserving this place for myself. And now a non-Mahram will come here, Umar, and I will not be able to come. But I will give you preference over my own self. I'll be buried with everyone else in Baqir. I will give you this place. So Umar when he got the response, he said, no, 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 maybe she was scared of me. After I die, then go and tell her, don't say Amir Mu'mineen is asking permission. Say Umar bin Khattab is asking permission. Can he be buried? If she says no now, then bury me in Baqir. When he came, they said Umar bin, uh, Umar bin Khattab, then he's seeking permission. She said, marhaban bi Amir al-Mu'mineen. They said Umar bin Khattab, but she said, marhaban bi Amir al-Mu'mineen. And she got up and left. But during, when he was alive, where was she? She was next door. So why didn't she object? This is the biggest hadith and the strongest narration for those who promote eight. In fact, they don't only promote eight, they say increasing beyond that. And may Allah, uh, rahimahullah, Shaykh Albani has written, in, despite being great muhaddis, that any ziyada on eight is a bid'ah. It's a sin to go beyond eight. He bases on this hadith. This is a hadith of tahajjud. It's not a hadith of, of taraweeh. The narrator, Aisha Siddiqa, why didn't uh, she object? She was right there. Why was she silent? She spoke up so much on the Khilafah when, when Uthman anhu became Shaheed. She didn't only speak, she took the field of battle of Jamal. She fought for what she believed was right. She actively participated in the actual physical battle in Basra, outside of Basra, in the battle of Jamal. So she was not to be scared of anyone to speak out. But she was silent because she knew this was what her husband was performing was 20 in Ramadan. It was 8 was tahajjud. Um, this is what I already mentioned. Some interpreted this tahajjud as tarawih. The sahaba were asking her about the performance of the ritual at home. The wise of Rasulullah they did not dispute with the consensus of the sahaba when the 20 was being performed in Masjid al-Nabawi. Look, and I already talked about the classification of a hadith. All of the masters of the hadith, they have placed this hadith under the chapter of Tahajjud, not Taraweeh. Ma Muslim, under Talatul Tahajjud. Abu Dawood, Nasai, Malik, Tirmidhi. All of these great masters of hadith, they are understanding that this hadith is about Tahajjud, so they placed it under Tahajjud. 
Okay, what is the difference between Tarawih and Tajr? Is it different? Maybe it's the same thing. It's very different. Tarawih consists of 20 rakats. Tahajjud consists of 8. There's some maximum 12. Tarawih is emphasized sunnah. Tahajjud is mustahab. Tarawih should be performed in jama'ah. Tahajjud is performed individually. Tarawih is performed in the month of Ramadan. Tahajjud is performed throughout the year. Tarawih is performed in the earlier portion of the night. After Isha. Tahajjud is performed in the later portion of the night. These are... Everyone can agree and knows these points. They're very simple. So I'm going fast and time's now coming for Adhan of Isha. So, you see this. This is the difference between Tahajjud and Taraweeh. All of the above. You can read it and see it and you have heard it. Taraweeh, when is it performed? In Ramadan. Tahajjud, throughout the year. Taraweeh is performed before you sleep. Tahajjud is performed after you wake up. Taraweeh is performed in Jama'ah. Tahajjud is performed individually. It's absolutely a different type of prayer. And... Those who perform aid, they deny this difference. They say, no, 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 there is no difference. There is no, tara- there is no additional prayer in Ramadan. It is the same tahajjud that instead of performing it late, you perform it earlier. What are you doing? This is what I said, I'll come back to it. Uh, the resemblance with the Shia. Resemblance with the Shia is because the Shia, they do not believe in Salat al-Tarawih. They don't believe in a lot of things. Uh, uh, but they also, amongst many, many things they reject, is that they reject Salatul Taraweeh. It's all for obvious reasons. The Ijma of Sahaba, their enemies, Ijma of Umar, radiallahu ta'ala an, and Uthman, radiallahu ta'ala an. Even though Ali Rulan was leading, the, that's a minor problem they have to deal with, that he was leading 20 rakat as well. So they are against Taraweeh. So those who are saying there is no difference, the Salatul Tahajjud is the same Taraweeh, what are they doing is effectively they are saying there is no additional prayer in Ramadan. This is the Shia madhab. And secondly is that this is attacking the integrity of the Sahaba. In particular, the integrity of Umar That's what I wrote here. Those who hold the view that Taladi consists of eight rakats, they are holding the same belief for the Shia. One is, the Shia believe there is no additional prayer in Ramadan. While, despite the fact that this is an accepted reality, that there is extra prayer in the month of Ramadan. And it also discredits Umar radiallahu an, and it discredits the consensus of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu Is there any additional? If you take the text of okay, Makan is either Ramadan or Nabi sallallahu alaihi did not increase more than eight. That means that when Ramadan comes, there is no additional prayer. How about all those hadith in Sahih Muslim? Aisha Siddiqah radiallahu anhu narrates when Ramadan approached. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi increased his efforts in striving more than outside of Ramadan. This is an obvious fact. Aisha Siddiqah narrates that he would increase his salat, his profusion of ibadah, until his face is to change color. Narrated by Haqi. In Shu'ab al-Iman, Aisha Radiallahu narrates that when Ramadan came, Rasulullah Sallallahu the same Aisha, the same Aisha is narrating that Rasulullah Sallallahu did not rest in the entire Ramadan. And you can kullahu. He would stay awake the entire night. He would make his family members stay awake at, at night. He would awaken his family members. This is narrated in Bukhari. So there is additional prayers in Ramadan. What she was talking about is the tahajjud. So somebody, this, the Sahabi who came to ask her, he was saying that, okay, there's Taravi, you're performing 20 rakat, etc. What about the tahajjud? How much tahajjud would he perform? So she said that whether it was outside Ramadan, he'd perform eight. Even in Ramadan, he would perform eight. But he would perform long eight rakats. Besides the additional tahajjud, uh, the taraweeh, when, when it comes to the hajjud time before suhoor, he would perform eight rakat. That is what Aisha Siddiqah was saying 
about the tahajjud of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And last, uh, some few conclusions is that we know now, alhamdulillah, this last slide, 20 rakat is a sunnah, which is the accepted way throughout the centuries. All the imma arba, all the sahaba anhum. The sahaba had a consensus on this. We cannot have any record of any dispute from the sahaba on this consensus. The hadith of Bukhari, which is the main proof of Aisha Siddiqah's hadith, is about tahajjud, not taraweeh, which are two distinct prayers. All the four imams agree in 20 rakat. Throughout history, 20 rakat in Mecca, 20 rakat in Medina al-Munawwara, many uh, kings and dynasties came, changed, but they did not change that practice. All the great scholars have been performing 20 rakat, and this disagreement has not been present for the last hundreds of years. It's a, some, a new assertion which has been around this last century, and we have to protect ourselves from falling into these fitnas. And I mentioned before, I was going to give the disclaimer, those who came in the middle, those who came towards the end, please note, the purpose of this is by no means to condemn anyone. If anyone through exhaustion or through tiredness or for any other purpose cannot perform, he performs not, forget eight, he cannot perform four, he only performs two and he leaves and he makes istighfar and asks Allah Ta'ala for istiqamah and asks Allah for strength, then that person is by no means condemned by anyone here or that is not the purpose. But rather, that ideology in which anything more than eight rakat, those who are performing the actual sunnah, they are being labeled as you are doing an innovation and bid'ah and attacking the integrity of Umar anhu in the consensus of the Sahaba. Uh, that ideology is what we are trying to speak out against and warn ourselves and our ummah and our generations to avoid falling into that fitna. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all and keep us on the salat al-mustaqeem. Wa